0: Welcome in, everyone, to a very special two-week episode of Gangrene and Goudreau. Right here on percolatedmedia.net, this is Goudreau here. Before I get into the backstory about why I'm doing two games on this episode as opposed to one, I hope all of you are doing very well. recording this on Tuesday, November 8th. It's Election Day here in America. And I hope everyone listening who happens to live here in the U.S. of A., Does their civic duty, one of the great privileges and rights that we have in our country, to go vote. You know, let your voice be heard, because every vote does count. Not to get overly political, but it is something that not every country or every citizen across the world has the opportunity to partake in. So please, take it upon yourself. Go out there, let your voice be heard, and fulfill one of your obligations, at least in my opinion. The election is not why I'm doing two episodes back-to-back. I'm not running any campaigns myself, outside of Sauce Gardner being Defensive Rookie of the Year, but we'll get into that very, very shortly. The reality is, last week, with the week of Halloween, I had a lot of stuff on my plate between work and the one-two punch of Riker and Harrison decided to play more tricks as opposed to treats in my personal life, my family life. So it was just a difficult thing to find the time to sit down and talk for an hour, a little less than an hour, about the Jets. So I apologize that I wasn't able to commit, but I hope the Halloween exclusive episode of three men in a retrospective that I dropped talking about the movies that have scared me the most provided adequate sustenance. If you enjoy listening to my voice, which is something not a lot of people really do in my household outside of Christian, but I'm glad everyone enjoys the stuff that I do here on the site because it's, it's a good hobby to have. And I'm someone who, has a lot of things to be thankful for and, and responsibilities in my life. But I do enjoy just sitting down in front of my laptop and whether it's myself or with the boys, being Garrett and Adam. This is something I love doing. And as we approach one year here on the site, that's kind of hard to believe goes to show how quickly the sands of time pour to the other side of the hourglass. But on the note of Three Men in a Retrospective, we have finished Batman by the grace of God. At least in an official way, Adam and I might do some one-off discussions as we get into the Patreon launch, which will probably happen sometime next year. We have pivoted to doing the films of Scorsese and DiCaprio. We dropped our review of Gangs of New York last Friday with Mike Ganeri. Those of you who know him from the binge days, he was a regular third piece of our trio on the Aftertaste. We did quite a few retrospectives with him, and we're excited that he agreed to join us as our first guest host on the new site. And I think these shows are something that will fulfill your desire if you are more of a film fan, because Marty, as he's often called is someone held in the highest of esteem, as is his co-host or is his main actor in these films, Leonardo DiCaprio. So I think it's going to be a, a, a great series. And once that's done, we have a very exciting series of shows to close out the year, which I am very trepidatious to announce. But I'll give you a hint. does coincide with A retrospective we have already committed to that we started on binge. That's a set of shows. And the other two shows are pertaining to something that is going to be unleashed upon us very soon. Take that for what it is. On the note of things being unleashed, let's get into the last two weeks of Jets football. I'm going to talk about both Division home games that the Jets have played over the last two weeks against the Patriots and the Bills. Like I said, I was going to do these as two separate shows, but my life decided to say, yeah, I'm going to book you and reschedule your appointments. So I hope this makes up for it, like I said earlier. So I'll start with the Patriots game first and then go into the Bills game. I'm not going to really pivot back and forth. So let's let's get into the Patriots game. I have and I've lived in New England for basically my entire life. So I have been a needle and a haystack of Patriot fans for pretty much the entirety of my existence. And certainly my lifetime as a sports fan. This is Patriot country. And they were and are the greatest dynasty, without question, in the history of the NFL, maybe in the entire world of professional sports in America, the most impressive franchise over a period of 20 years that we have ever seen. And you have to be stupid or just ignorant To ignore what Belichick and, of course, Tom Brady accomplished during their time throughout that dynasty. Six Super Bowls, all the division titles, additional Super Bowl appearances, the list goes on and on. But I think there's one thing that really separates them from the other great dynasties we've had in the NFL. Whether it's the Chuck Knoll Pittsburgh Steelers, the San Francisco 49ers under Joe Montana. Or the Jimmy Johnson slash Barry Switzer Cowboys of the 90s. It's that with the time that Belichick has been running the Patriots, there has been far more of an emphasis on the salary cap. Because of that, back in the day, you know, the Cowboys didn't necessarily have to worry about, you know, breaking the bank and, Manufacturing the numbers around to keep Aikman and Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and all those guys. You know, Lynn and Stallworth, the Steelers didn't have to decide between one or the other. They were able to keep both Belichick. He, of course, had Tom Brady. But in this dynasty, he did it with a lot of interchangeable pieces, so to speak. Outside of Tom Brady, there are very few names you can think of that stuck around for extended periods. Now, obviously Tom Brady's a, a goat of a different color. But when you look at, let's say, the offense in particular, Tom Brady's thrown more touchdowns to a bunch of no-name receivers as almost anybody else in the NFL. And of course, he's played with some greats, Randy Moss, for a couple of years. Wes Welker was a tremendous slot receiver, and of course he was not exclusively a Patriot, but a lot of people think of him as just a Patriot because he was a Dolphin and a Bronco, I think, among other teams. Obviously, Rob Grodkowski comes to mind, Julian Edelman. But there's some other guys that kind of get overlooked, especially in the early days, like Deion Branch, or even someone like a Danny Amendola. And then defensively, it went from, you know, your Teddy Brewskis, your Mike Vrabels, your, your players like that to Stefan Gilmore and, you know, Devin McCordy, All different guys. So you have to give credit where credit is due to what the Patriots have accomplished. And for my lifetime, the Jet-Patriot rivalry has gone in phases. Obviously, Bill Belichick has no sentimental value towards the jets it's well documented and I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty for all the years. I've been a jet fan, which you know I'm pushing 30, not quite here yet. Not until next August. It's always been real, not quite one sided because there's been some, there's been some highlights. You know, the Jets had won a AFC East title in my lifetime. There was the year where the Rex Ryan Jets went into Foxborough and decisively beat New England. But when you think of this, you think of the embarrassments. There's the butt fumble, which I think is overhyped and over-discussed. You have the I'm Seeing Ghosts game. You have all these things, and now 13 straight victories by the Patriots. So... There's not a whole lot of positivity if you're a fan of the Jets. It's much more dominated by the New England side. And I'll say this about the game that happened last Sunday. That am I pissed that they lost? To a certain extent, I lean towards no. Because I'm sort of desensitized to losing to the Patriots at this stage in my life. Because it's just, you see this throughout the NFL. It's not just the Jets, Patriots. There are certain matchups and there are certain coaching uh, angles where one guy just seems to have the other guy's number. Look at the Browns against Joe Burrow. The Browns own him. Look at Kyle Shanahan versus Sean McVay. Ben Shanahan just has his number. And Belichick's had the Jets' number for the better part of over two decades. And to be honest, when I look at the totality of the game that happened this season, I have a couple of takeaways. But the biggest one is that the reason why the Jets lost, the biggest culprit, was the erratic play of the quarterback, Zach Wilson. I'm not going to call myself a Zach Wilson apologist, but I sort of feel about Zach Wilson the way my friend and fellow, or Dolphin fan, can't say fellow Dolphin fan, because I would never put on that those hideous jerseys. Uh, TM often talks about how uh, Tua never really got a fair shake because you know the O line was hurt, he was injured. You know, let's see what he does with some weapons. And obviously, he's playing pretty well this year. Helps that he's got Tyree Killen, Jail, and Waddle. But Zach Wilson, he's been hurt the last two years. He missed the first three games. The offensive line has gone through a lot of different configurations. I think they've gone through as many configurations as you'll find on a puzzle box in the Hellraiser franchise. So there's that. And Belichick has always had an affinity for beating and confusing really young quarterbacks. And Zach is still a baby, not just because he looks like he's a teenager on his way to prom with your mom's best friend, but he played like it. Belichick didn't really throw a whole lot of crazy blitz packages or disguised coverages. It was you know, rushing an offensive line that was the first game without Elijah Vera Tucker and Brees Hall. So let's put that into perspective. But the pocket would collapse. Zach would run to his right and either try to dance around to evade the sacks or he would throw one of three inexcusable interceptions. First one was off his back foot. Blobbed it downfield towards the running back, Ty Johnson. Gets picked off. The second one, Devin McCourty picks off because he was trying to throw it into the stand, supposedly. But he was nowhere near the fifth row where you should throw those kind of balls. I question whether or not McCourty was in bounds. But look, they they did not lose this game because of the referees. There was a call that I'll get into later that I think was the right call. But I hate the rule. But let's focus on Zach Wilson. Then the third one, it was still a game. And he just, he made a bad decision. So those three turnovers, I believe, were the difference in the game. Because it was a final score of 22-17. And 15 of those points were scored by X jet and now Patriot kicker. Nick Folk. He was five for five on field goals. He put up more points than the Patriots offense did. And I don't think the Patriots have a very good offense. But when your quarterback keeps turning the football over and you keep giving the Patriots of all teams a short field, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball. And I have to credit the defense. They... Bent, but they did not break, for the most part. The drive to kick off the third quarter, where the Patriots went right down the field and scored, the touchdown, I think the only touchdown they scored, that left a lot to be desired. That was the the worst way they could have come out of the locker rooms at halftime. But considering the Patriots' starting field position on almost every turnover was on the Jets' side of the field, They held him to five field goals. You know, it's bend but don't break. And they got six sacks on Mac Jones, so the defensive line came to play. Part of that is the Patriots were without center David Andrews. So they could get home with four. And Mac Jones is not the most athletically gifted quarterback. I'll say that. He doesn't – it's not that he can't run, but it's not – anywhere near as fluid as someone like a Mahomes or a Josh Allen or even a Joe Burrow who can run when he has to. So I'm not going to put a lot of the the blame for this defeat on the defense because they they did their job. They picked off Matt Jones at one point, but on the subject of interceptions, let's get to the the penalty that I mentioned earlier. Jets turn the ball over within two minutes of halftime. Patriots get the ball back. Mac Jones gets hit, throws what looked like a pick six. And if that pick six stood, it would have been, I think, 17 3 or 14 3. And I don't think the Patriots have the offensive capability to come back from that. Now, that's my opinion. And when I saw that yellow flag come out, I thought it was going to be. You know, defensive holding, maybe offensive holding, pass interference, who knows. It was called roughing the passer. And when you go back and watch the tape, it was the right call within the context of the modern NFL rules. And with that said, I do not like this rule that basically if you touch the quarterback remotely after the ball leaves their hand, the refs are inclined and instructed to throw the flag. I understand quarterback safety. And I understand that rules are predicated towards favoring the offense. But I also don't, I think, to a certain margin, that did decide the game. Not completely, but it changed momentum. Because 14-3 to or 17-3, to whatever it would have been, was a heck of a lot different than it being. I think it would have been 14-3 because I think it was 7-3 at that point and it was 7-6 at the half. I could be wrong, it's been 2 weeks. It, oh, it was 10-6 at the half. 10-6 jets. So, it was it was a correct call by all modern NFL rules, but I I think it's more because of what the NFL has instated with their with their rules and quarterback safety. But my big takeaway was, you know, Zach Wilson played his worst game of the year as last year when he threw four interceptions against against the Patriots. So Belichick just, he knows he's been doing this for a long time. And Zach, I took issue with what he said at the press conference. He came across as entitled. I don't think he took the right amount of accountability. And it ticked me off. And the week leading up to the Bills game, he was under tremendous scrutiny and pressure. Before I get to the Bills game, though, a couple other points I want to make. The Jets defense, while I gave them a lot of praise, they really struggled with getting off the field on third down. Remindry Stevenson had a really good game. There were some broken tackles. But there was one penalty that just drove me nuts. And I get this is this is the NFL. But Mac Jones slid, or, or I should say, it was third and third and long. Mac Jones scrambled out of the pocket. He did not slide. He leaned in with his shoulder and helmet. CJ Mosley makes a tackle, but they throw a roughing the passer or unnecessary roughness call. Mac Jones never gave himself up. He is a runner at that point. So I thought that was a bullshit call. That it seems like only the Patriots get. And I'm not one to throw that card out there about certain Teams getting favorable calls, but I thought that was absolute horseshit and killed momentum for the Jets once again, much like the penalty. At least the the roughing the passer, you could say, all right, that's precedent. But the the roughing call or unnecessary roughness, whatever that was, to me that was that was a bad call. And the Jets did the things beyond the interceptions that you cannot do against the Patriots. There was a muffed punt. There was a missed field goal by Greg Zerline, the three interceptions that I mentioned, and those penalties. Those are the textbook ways that the Patriots under Bill Belichick find ways to win. They let the other team make stupid mistakes, and they capitalize on it. the Jets for all the good that they've done. That loss to me was more about the Jets than it was about the Patriots. It showed to me that there's still some kind of mental barrier that they cannot get past. And the place was rocking. The atmosphere at that game was the loudest I have seen met life for a Jets home game in a long time. And let's be honest, the Jets don't really have that much of a home field advantage because they are co-tenants of MetLife Stadium with the Giants. And New York has always been, slash New Jersey, much more of a giant town than a jet town. Now we have the Bills that also play in New York. So the Jets don't really have anything that resembles a home field advantage. It was disappointing. It It was the most somber Monday morning after. That I've had since starting the show because I really felt like the Jets gave the game away. And it made me realize, oh great, we're going to get our asses kicked by the Bills. They're they're not ready. I don't know if I said this on the show, but I, I said this in conversation with friends. That these two games, Patriots-Bills, will be the litmus test for if the Jets can be taken serious as a viable postseason contender. And coming off that Patriot game, I said defensively, yes. But it's not like the Patriots have any world beaters on offense. And like I said, Zach Wilson played like crap. So that put a lot of skepticism going into the Bills game. The Vegas betting line reflected that. The Jets were double digit underdogs at home to the Bills. The team, everyone and their mother, has picked to win the Super Bowl and at bare minimum represent the AFC. I thought that line was a bit extended. I thought the game would be close. I thought it'd be low scoring, which it turned out to be by all accounts. But I have never had a two-week stretch of back-to-back games where I went from the lowest of the low to an all-time high to quote Rita Coolidge's song for the movie Octopussy from our James Bond retrospective. How you really like that connection? This, to me, now we can pivot into the Jets-Bills game. This, to me, was the biggest win that Robert Sala and Zach Wilson, by extension, have had since, since becoming... The Jets' faces of the franchise, head coach and the quarterback. They won the game 20 to 17 against a Bills team that, yes, was missing some defensive players. But look, injuries are part of the NFL, and unless you're, you know, your starting quarterback being out is one thing. I think that really is a handicap, especially if you're a team like the Bills. If they didn't play this game without Josh Allen, it's a very different game. But I think the Bill defensive injuries were offset by the Jets not having their best receiver in Corey Davis, their best lineman in AVT, and their best running back in Elijah Barrett Tucker. To me, that was the wipe the slate clean. This game, to me, was going to come down to can the Jets' defense, which has been very, very good, can they hold this dynamic offense that the Bills have, this high-flying, knockout, blow, Bill's offense, can they hold them down and score enough points to, to eke out a win? The answer is yes. And I got to say, my my biggest takeaway as the game ended, and I'm glad I'm recording this two days later because my voice was shot at the end of that game, as you would imagine, was that the Jets' defense flat out outplayed the Bills' offense. They held the Bills to their lowest Point total of the season, 17. Josh Allen had the worst completion percentage of the season. He was barely over 50%. He threw two interceptions. He had his lowest quarterback rating of the season. And he only threw for a little over 200 yards. Now, he had two rushing touchdowns. One of them was a big defensive slip-up as far as coverage. It was a pretty long – I think it was like a 35-yard run by Josh Allen, which is just something you – Even if you call the right defense, you just can't account for it because he's so big and so fast, and he's such a strong runner. Sometimes it's like, what are you going to fucking do? But outside of that, and a play early on where Sauce, the only time he's really gotten beat this year is on a double move by Stephon Diggs on the opening drive. The Jets' defense took the soul of the Bills, They sacked Josh Allen five times. Like I said, picked him off twice. And because the Bills don't have any semblance of a running game outside of number 17, they never had to worry about defending the run, really. It was just, hey, we got a formula to beat the Bills. I think they watched the Green Bay Packer game where you bracket Stephon Diggs, so put a corner on him and then have your safety and coverage and then put your best corner on Gabe Davis, our number two receiver and have Josh Allen, either one with the ball or check it down to his third or fourth option. And that strategy worked because they held the bills to let's see three points in the second half and going into the locker room. It was 14, 10 at the half 14, 10 bills, but the Jets had marched for a touchdown before the half. So, there was a point where this game was 14-3, and I'm thinking, all right, it's probably either it's going to turn into a blowout or maybe they'll kick a field goal to, to get back into the game, you know, keep it a one-score game going into halftime. I'll get to the offense momentarily, but you got to – if people weren't taking the Jets' defense seriously going into this game, they better be taking it seriously going into the rest of the season because they – like I said, took the soul, shut down, manhandled. All those adjectives apply. They they outplayed the Bills' offense, which is number one in the league. You can say whatever you want. You know, Josh Allen's the lead MVP. Stephon Diggs is the top five wide receiver in the league. They couldn't do anything in the second half. And the most impressive thing was that the Jets are a team that rarely blitzes. They were getting pressure by just rushing their front four. And all of them shined, whether it was Quentin Williams, whether it was Jermaine Johnson who came back from injury, our third first-round draft pick. He ran down Josh Allen for a sack. It was a big play in the game. Sheldon Rankins, who got hurt, unfortunately. Michael Clemens, Bryce Huff. All of them got home at some point. And when you can rush four and get consistent pressure on a quarterback, regardless of who they are, and you drop your, you know, your back portion, your linebackers, and your secondary in the coverage. That's a recipe to win. You know, that's what Sala did when he was at the Niners. You know, it was rush four, drop everyone back, and beat us through the air. So I have to give all the props in the world to the defense, Sala, Jeff Ulbrick, the defensive coordinator, who I was very critical of earlier in the year, but definitely all of last year. I do believe the defense is for real, and they have crossed a corner. This is where I have to take my own receipts out for Robert Sala. Last year, the Jets' defense was 32nd in almost every statistical category you can think of. Yards allowed, points allowed, sacks, takeaways, rushing yards allowed. It was as bad of a defensive performance throughout an entire season I have seen as a Jet fan. And look, I've lived through some bad teams. But he has taken receipts himself because his defense last year was these young guys that they were playing, these snaps are going to be really beneficial in the long run. So it looks like it's paying dividends. And, of course, they added, to me, the runaway for defensive rookie of the year in Sauce Gardner. To me, it's not a debate. Not only does he lead the league and passes deflected, But teams are not even throwing the ball on his side of the field. For a rookie corner to get that semblance of respect, like I said, as a rookie, shows you the kind of talent this kid has. And he's a corner who's built like a receiver. Six foot three, really long, really fast. Someone of that build playing corner is such a rarity in the NFL. And he has been, everything is advertised. When you take a corner in the top five, he's got to be Ed Reed. Uh, not Ed Reed, excuse me, Deion Sanders or a Darrell Revis. He's got to be that level of impact player. And he has been. But he's also been complimented by DJ Reed, who has been, I think in my opinion, the best free agent signing Joe Douglas, our GM, has made. He has been absolutely the best cornerback tandem. In the NFL, it was it was very impressive to, to watch. So with that said, and I'll get into a couple of other things. Like I said, to me Quinn and Williams leads all interior defensive linemen with sacks. It was it, it was great to watch on the, the defensive side of the ball, and kudos to Sala and Albrecht for. Coming up with a great game plan to shut down the Bills. So let's get to the offense. As I mentioned, Zach Wilson was under a great deal of pressure. There were even calls for him to lose his starting job. I thought that was a bit drastic. But when he plays within the structure of the offense, you know, whether it's checking the ball down, screen passes, slants, out routes, quick releases, this was the the shortest amount of time of release between the snap and him throwing the ball that he's had all season. So that is a, I think that's a strength of his that they're really going to take advantage of is getting the ball out of his hands quick. Cause these guys are great yards after catch Garrett Wilson, their first one right receiver. He was fantastic. Whether it was James Robinson and Michael Carter having, about 150 yards, and then Zach had a couple big runs, which was something I was screaming about. Why isn't this kid running for first downs? His two best plays were arguably a third and nine run and a third and five run to move the chains. So it seems like things were clicking for him in this game that they usually were not going into the um, go- going into this game. So that that's definitely good to see. And Michael Floyd, the offensive coordinator, did something I was also critical of him earlier in the season. He he seemed very quick to get away from the run. And down 14-3, that was the point where I thought, okay, he's going to throw his playbook out the window and start chucking it. He stuck with it, and he realized the Bills are somewhat shorthanded on defense, we can run it, and they rushed for almost 175 yards in this game. Whether it was Michael Carter, whether it was James Robinson, whether it was Zach running a couple times. It was just old school football. In the fourth quarter, that last drive where the Jets had the ball in their own five-yard line, they just ran basically 90 yards up the field. Chunk plays, like seven plays, eight, seven yards, five yards. Then you get like a 15-yard play by one of them. And the throw of the game was Zach Wilson hitting Denzel Mims, of all people, on a third and five. So... All around, this was the most impressive win that they have had all year. And I don't believe you could put any qualifiers on it. I understand the Bills were somewhat shorthanded on defense, like I said. But they were saying, beat a legit team. Go beat a real quarterback. Because you know Aaron Rodgers apparently is not a pro quarterback. Good on the Jets. Good on Salah. They're 6-3 and three going into the bye week to get some well-deserved rest before they go back to New England. And I want blood in that game. I don't just say that because I'm drinking some red wine right now. I think the Jets realize that they let that game against New England slip away from them, and I think they're going to go into that game and just come with a fervor and a relentlessness to win that game. And I don't like throwing around the word must win, but with the AFC East as tight as it is, Everyone's over five hundred, and if Josh Allen's injured, this changes the landscape of not just the division, but the conference. Because he did get hurt towards the end of this game. And on the note of the last play of the game, that was not flag-worthy on sauce. Gabe Davis clearly pushed off. So, they basically got no excuse to not beat the Patriots. And they kind of have to when you look at the state of the division because you got to keep up with Miami. you got to keep up with Buffalo. Obviously, if Josh Allen misses time, like I said, that's going to add some more urgency. And the schedule is not easy in the back half. But look, we were saying that going into the season, playing the entire AFC North, going to Denver, going to Green Bay, having Buffalo and New England before the bye, like that was a bit of a gauntlet. And it's not fair to say that they've overachieved because that makes it sound like they got lucky. You could say they caught breaks with some injuries and and whatnot, but the Jets have been dealing with that all season too. They had their backup quarterback for the first three games. They've lost their two best offensive players for the season. So I'm very excited as we go into a, a stretch where the P word playoffs is not out of the realm of possibility. So I'm very excited to see what happens. And next week, even though there's a bye, I convinced the big man, GC, to come on and talk about his team. Talk about his girlfriend's team, who if you... Hell, we'll talk about his mom's team, too, because they all root for different teams. That's the funny thing. And Garrett roots for the same team as my husband, uh, which I don't think I've talked about Christian's affinity on air, but we'll learn about that next week. So... Talked about two games in one. Didn't go quite as long, but I'm just I'm delirious about where the Jets are. And I think they have a real shot with this defense and this run game to cause problems for anybody. I think they can beat anybody, and I think this team believes that, which is the scary thing. Seems like they're a year ahead of schedule. and If the quarterback can put it together, because there's going to be games where they say, all right, you have to win us the game. Could be against New England. We'll see. But all in all, things are good in my life. Things are good in Jetlands. Hope you all enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. And be sure to tune in next week. See you later.